0: And uh, those of you who are at Midtown may have heard this already. And uh, a lot of you probably heard a lot of it already. But uh, we're going to start with the first slide, maybe. Uh, so uh, Trev and I, um, we led a connect group together before he was married, and then when Zuska came with Zuska together after he was married. And, um, I often roll my eyes at Trev, and these pictures will show you why. One day, he took my camera and did a whole bunch of selfies, and these are the selfies Trev picked with, did with my camera. <laughs> and uh, he often did silly stuff like this and made us laugh. And this one day, Trev's like, you know, Amanda, I was reading about David's mighty men, and I thought, I want to be one of God's mighty men. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's such like a guy. I want a sword. Let me kill something. Rawr. You know, I was like, oh, my goodness. But then the next morning, um, I was thinking about in Malachi 3, where it says that there's a scroll of remembrance written about the people who love the Lord. And I thought, well, if there is a scroll of remembrance that's going to be written and it has a list of God's mighty men, I do want to be on that list. Trev is right. And um, I'm so glad this is being uh, taped for him because he's going to want this public record of me saying that he was right about something. So <laughs> was, he's right. I want to be. I want to be one of David's, like one of God's mighty men, written, you know, like written about in heaven when the school of remembrance written, you know, and David, uh, Jesus' mighty men, mighty warriors. Amanda, you all. There, that's what I wanted to say. And um, so... A little while later, I was uh, back in Japan uh, working in a house of prayer, and I was spending time with God in the morning, and um, I was reading through the list of David's mighty men, and God started really opening up the scriptures to me, and it was so different than normal because, you know, I'm used to God, like, showing you things about, like, maybe the Psalms or about uh, stories, but this was a list of names. I've never had him open up the scriptures through a list of names. Like I was like, wow, this list of names is really interesting, and like I'm learning a lot about prayer, actually. That's what he was speaking to me about, prayer. He said, Amanda, if you're gonna be listed among my mighty men, um, then it's gonna be about prayer, and it's gonna be about how you showed in the spirit the same thing these men showed physically when they went out, and fought for me and you can see the fruits of their labor the same thing with you you go out and pray for me and people are going to be able to see the fruits of your labor and he started showing me how i can see what these mighty men did and what that means when i go and pray and it was so cool and i have to say that oftentimes when i would read through the Bible things that people did, and I would think, oh, I want to be like that, you know? And sometimes I get discouraged because, you know, like, you read Paul, and he's like, I've, I've run the race, I've won the prize. I'm like, I, I really don't feel like I've won the prize, God. <laughs> you know, like, or, you know, I read about David's mighty men, and the one guy killed 800 men, and I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like that. Like, and it, sometimes it was kind of discouraging because I was thinking that the Bible was a how-to book, how to be a mighty man, or how to be a disciple, or the worst ever, Proverbs 31, how to be a righteous woman. (laughs) I'm like, that woman is amazing. Like, she never sleeps that woman. Like, how can you be like her? (laughs) And so I used to think it was a a how-to book. And then one morning, God was speaking to me. He was saying, Amanda, it's not a how-to book. It's a description of who you are. He said, you're already my disciple. You're already a mighty man. You're already a righteous woman. I'm just showing you who you are. And I thought, wow, that's pretty impressive if that's true, God. I don't feel that impressive either. (laughs) And he started showing me through this list of the mighty men and what it meant in prayer, things I was already doing. He said, see, you're already doing this, and you're already doing this, and you're already doing this. He said, and you can do all those rest of the things. That's who I made you to be. And so as we go through this list of mighty men, um, I'd like you to think of it from that perspective, that this is who you already are. This is a description of who you are. So we're going to go to the next slide. Um, so it's a little bit long, and there's a lot of kind of funny names, and now I'm a teacher in Scarborough, so I'm pretty good with different names, but uh, just forgive me if I uh, don't say all of them properly. So we're going to read 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8 to 39. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Joheb Bashabeth, a Takemonite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahohite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at pas for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day the troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shammah son of Agith Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah, but Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. And next. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold at the Philistine garrison, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is, not, uh, is it not the blood of the men who risked their lives, their, uh, at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploit of the three mighty warriors. And next. Abishai, the brother of Joab, son of Zariah, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men, whom he killed. So he became as famous as the three. Was he not held in greater honor than the three? He became their commander, even though he was not included among them. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. Two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. He struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. And next. Among the 30 were Asahel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, son of Dodo, from Bethlehem, Shammah, the Herodite, Alika, the Herodite, Helaz, the Paltite, Ira, son of Ikesh, from Tekoa, Abiezar, from Anathoth, Sabikai, the Hushathite, Zalmon the Hohite, Maharai the Netophathite, Helad son of Bana the Netophathite, Ithai son of Ribai from Gibeah and Benjamin, Benaiah the Pirathonite, Hidai from the ravines of Gash, Abi Alban the Arbathite, Asmaveth the Baharumite, And. Next. <laughs> Elahaba the Shalbanite, the sons of Jason. Jonathan, son of Shammah the Hararite. Ahiam son of Sharar the Hararite. Eliphelet, son of Ahasbi the Makathite. Eliam, son of Athithophel the Gileonite. Hezro the Carmelite. Parai the Arbite. Egal, son of Nathan from Zobah, the son of Hagri. Zelek the Ammonite. Nahari the Beerathite, the armor-bearer of Joab, son of Zariah. Ira the Ithrite, Gareb the Ithrite, and Uriah the Hittite, there were 37 in all. Oh, yeah, thanks, thanks. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> okay, and the next slide. <laughs> no, that, that's, the, that's the end of the reading of names. So I was thinking, like, you know, if names are going to be read out, like, wouldn't it be so cool you're in heaven and God starts reading out your name and what you've done? Like, that would be really cool. And so the first guy on this list, Joheb Bashahabeth, Basha he kills 800 men. And so God was saying to me, Amanda, that's like you're praying, right? And you cast out 800 demons all at once. And I was like, that would be so cool. You know, like um, in Japan, we did a lot of prayer for people, and a lot of prayer for people with mental illness, um, including schizophrenia and depression, and um, there's a lot of spiritual warfare around that, and we did a lot of deliverance prayer. And, you know, oftentimes I would see three or four demons leaving all at once. Um, And I was like, you know, God, I don't want to have to keep coming back and praying for the same person over and over again to see them completely free. I want to pray, and they're completely free, like, all at once. You know, like 800 all at once. In fact, Jesus, when he was praying for a man who was demon-possessed, he asked the man, well, he was speaking to the demons, and he asked the demons, what's your name? And they said, legion. So in that time, a legion was 5,000, 5,000 men in the Roman army. And so they were saying there's about 500 of us in this man, and Jesus commanded them out, and they came out, 5,000 demons all at once. And then Jesus said, we will do greater things than him. So 800 demons at once is not uh, beyond the realm of possibility. That, you know, we would, we would walk down the street and the people who are beside us would be delivered of the demons. They'd have to go, you know, like, the, this is the kind of deliverance that I'm looking for. You know, that, that, like, that's what we could be. You know, it could be written, like, this is who we are. 800 men, 800 demons, this is who we are. We are people who bring deliverance, right? And then we have Eleazar. What I love about Eleazar is um, all the mighty men were fighting. So, David had, um, before he became king, David had usually between 300 and 600 men um, who he fought with. And so, all of those men were fighting this battle, and then they all retreated. And Eleazar said, No, this battle is God's. You know, I'm going to stay here, I'm going to keep fighting. And He heard God's voice and he did it when all the rest retreated, right? And so he fights for so long that his hand freezes to the sword, right? So, you know, in uh, Thessalonians, uh, Paul tells us, pray without ceasing, you know? So this is like his hand freezing to the sword, right? He can't let go of the word of God, the sword of the spirit, with which he fights and wins battles, you know, that we are people, not who are called to do it, but we are people who our identity is. We pray without ceasing. That's who we are. That is inside of us, and it is coming out. You know, like this is, I want my hand to freeze to the sword. You know, that like everything that happens, the memory verse comes to my mind where I can be encouraged, where others can be encouraged, where I have the, the verse on the tip of my tongue that answers this problem where God is speaking, you know, his... His Rhema word, not that I'm a Bible basher with, you know, have faith, bam, bam, you know, no, not like that. <laughs> but where, you know, somebody is discouraged, and I'm able to bring the word of encouragement because his word is on my tongue and in my heart and frozen to my hand. I can't let go of it. I really love Eliezer, it's so fun. And next we have Shammah. Now, what I love about Shamma is that he fights to defend a field of lentils. I mean, I like lentils. Like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Again, the whole rest of the army retreats, and he stands in the middle of the field of lentils. I'm kind of thinking, what does that look like? Were they in season then? Like, was everyone's feet covered with lentils? Like, you know, he's standing in the middle of the field of lentils, and he's fighting this fight. And what I really like about it is um, not in uh, Samuel, but in uh, Chronicles, it says that he fought with David, that the two of them fought together. Yeah, Chronicles. In Chronicles, it says that he and David fought together, that he stayed beside his king when everyone else retreated. You know, I really like that. I'm like, yeah, that should be me, Like, that is me, that like others retreat and Jesus says, this is where I take my stand, and I say, in the lentils, God? Sure, okay, in the lentils, I take my stand with you. Like, wouldn't that be cool? Like, that's, and it is cool, in fact. And then, so those are the three, right? Those are the famous three, those first three. And so it tells another story about the three, right? Uh, They're fighting a battle, and the enemies have Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem used to be God's territory in the kingdom of God. It has a Hebrew name, the house of bread. And now the enemy has that territory. The Philistines now have Bethlehem. And David is fighting to retake the ground that the kingdom of God once had that's gone, and uh, he needs something. He's thirsty, right? And so the three mighty men say, we're going to go into the enemy's ground to the well that has life for our leader. We're going to bring it back to him. I was like, yeah, I want to do that in prayer. You know, there used to be, when I was a kid, we would say the Lord's Prayer every day in school, And now the enemy has that ground. We don't pray in school anymore. You know, that's what I'm praying for right now, that we will take back that ground because that ground is a wellspring of life. Prayer in the schools is a wellspring of life. And that's what our leaders need in order to advance Canada in the kingdom of God. You know, like our politicians need prayer in the schools so that Canada can prosper and be advanced in the kingdom of God. I'm praying for that, that, you know, that, that we will take back that ground that we once had in the kingdom of God that the enemy now has, you know, that's a wellspring of life. That's who we can be. You know, are you praying for your schools? Are you praying for your, you know, what has God put in your heart? I'm not saying you should pray for that. I'm saying God has put something in your heart to pray for you know, of your leaders? Like, they were doing this for their leader, David. You know, has he put in your heart to pray for the mayor? Has he put it in your heart to pray for the prime minister? Has he put it in the heart to pray for your boss, the principal of your kid's school? Like, what leader has he put it in your heart to pray for? You know, your pastors, your missionaries, like, you know, causing your heart to leap. <laughs> yeah, oh, nah. So next we have a Bishai. Now... Abishai is David's cousin. So David had three cousins who came and fought with him. There was Joab, who was the commander of his army. There was Abishai and Ashael. They were three brothers, and their mom, Zariah, was David's sister. And they came to him as soon as he left uh, Saul. He went down to a cave. His family came. So they were with him from the very beginning. And I have to tell you that God was like, Amanda, and you already do this. You pray for your family. You fight for your family. You know, Abishai, he killed 300 men. That's how he became famous. But you know what else he did? When they were older and David was king and they were fighting, David got tired. And in fact, he was about to be killed. And his cousin Abishai came and saved his life. Do you know, we're called, like, that's who we are. We pray for our families, and we save their lives, and they're in danger, and we pray for them. You know, so many of us pray for our families, and God is saying, this is who you are. You're the Abishai's praying for your families, praying for your cousins, you know, that they would uh, be saved, they would be healed, they would come to know the Lord. Um, Every night, my mom and dad and I, we would pray for... um, my brother-in-law and my cousin Devin, two people in our family who are, yet not, who are not yet Christians. And uh, so after dinner, we would pray for other stuff too, but specifically for those two. And um, so two weeks ago, my, cov- my cousin Devin died, and my mom said, you know, God, that's not what we were praying for. <laughs> we were praying that he would become a Christian, not that he would die. But the thing is, I can't know what, his conversation was with God before he died. Like, I have to believe that he had that conversation with God. In fact, he always asked my dad and I uh, questions about God and Jesus, and then he'd get mad at our answers every time we went. He would say, what about this? What about this? And we would answer, and he'd say, (laughs) you know, but I really think he was so much closer than other people who aren't even interested. You know, like when we pray for our families, we don't always see the answers that we're really hoping for. But that doesn't mean that our, our prayers go unanswered. You know, sometimes we think our prayers are unanswered, but that's not actually true. They are answered, we just don't know it all. And not knowing is really hard, especially when the person you love dies. It's really hard. And that's when we're truly mighty warriors, right? When we say, I don't know why, they weren't healed. I don't know why they died. But I have to choose to believe that praying for people is not without benefit, that that's who I am. Like, not that I do it for rewards, but I do it because that's who I am. I'm a mighty warrior. I'm God's kid. I'm his disciple. He says pray, I pray, and he put the prayer in me. Okay, next we get to Ayah. I have to tell you, I really... Really love Benaiah, he is such a mighty man. So the first thing he does is he kills two of the enemy's best men. So what is the enemy's best men in our lives? Is it fear? Is it hopelessness? Is it discouragement? Is it poverty? Is it sickness? You know, what are two of the enemy's best men in our life? To go out and kill that, to fight against that. That's who I wanna be. The best, the best the enemy has, it's going down. It's going down. You know, like, what's your best? What's your best? Bring it on. You know, because God says, it's going down. And then Benaiah, I love this, he kills an Egyptian with the guy's own spear. The guy has a spear, and Benaiah has a club, and he says, my God is mightier with this club than your God with that spear. You know, enemy, you think that you have More, it looks like I have less, but this is not true. You know, and what the enemy meant for evil, God means for good. Have you ever seen it where something that looked like it was going to be really bad turned around to be really good in your life? And God does that all the time, and we don't even know the whole end game yet. Like, we're not at the end of our story. We don't know what those bad things are going to be doing in our lives, what God's going to do with it. You know, what miracles He's going to bring about. Like, if I see it through that lens, I get excited, you know, where I'm usually not so excited about the bad things in my life, <laughs> you know, not so excited, you know, but like Aya, he looked and he said, I'm going to use that spear, and then there's a snowy day, there's a pit, and there's a lion, and he says, yeah, I can do that. No problem. No problem. Sure, snow, a pit, a lion, bring it on. Like, who is this guy? I have to tell you. Like, I really think Benaiah is quite impressive, and the rest of his life is equally impressive, I have to tell you. So in the winter of our lives, where we don't feel that close to God, where things are not growing, where it's difficult, we go into a pit where we lose our job, where we find out there's cancer, where... You know, we're depressed and discouraged. And then we find out that we have an eviction notice. You know? And who are we called to be? (laughs) Who are we called to be? I don't know, God. Like, I have faith in, like, surely it's his faith in me. But that seems like a lot, doesn't it? Like, have you ever had those situations where you're like, is this normal, God? Like, do three things always happen at once? Like, you know... I don't know about you, but that seems like a lot. And Benaiah says, no, I can do that. And you know what? I think Benaiah knew the spirit of God. Because to kill a lion, surely one man must take the spirit of God. And he looks and he says, with the spirit of God on a snowy day in a pit and a lion, God can still win. I want to be like Benaiah. I really want to be like him. And I have to tell you, Benaiah he became David's bodyguard. David trusted him with his life. You're going to be my bodyguard. You're going to lead the bodyguards. And we're called to be bodyguards for our pastors, for our leaders. We're called to pray for them, to make sure that nothing comes against them. You know, when um, when I start praying for Elsie and Ramesh, God really put it on my heart to pray for their marriage. And i prayed for a lot of pastors before, but he'd never put it on my heart to pray for their marriage. But that's who I want to be. I want to be the bodyguard in my leader's marriage, that I pray for their protection of their marriage. Because I've seen pastors fall in this area who, in a million years, I would never have thought they would have fallen. Like, never, never, never. Never, 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 never. never. Like, so surprising. And I think, I want to be that bodyguard. You know, like, I want to be the one that's trusted with the important things in prayer, with the things that really matter, with the life, with the life. I want to be entrusted with that. And more than that, David went through two attempted coups, both by sons. And Benaiah was faithful to him through both coups. In the first coup, he took over the prophet's job who had betrayed David, who had been with him for 40 years. In the second coup, he took over from David's cousin, Joab, who had been with him since he left Saul, who was the first one there, who betrayed him. Forty years later, and Mbenahiah stayed faithful and said, I'm still with the king. And he became the commander of the army. He must have been 60 or more years old by then. He'd been a mighty man since way back before David was king. It's 40 years later. And he becomes the commander of the army, a faithful man to the end. I really love Benaiah. I really want to be like him. And I'm so glad that God says this is your identity, to be faithful for 40 years, 60 years, that at 60 years old, you could become the commander of the army, you know, lead the prayer team at your church or in your city or lead your family, you know, in prayer where you become, in fact, Benaiah became the commander of the army for Solomon, You know, he affected generations of leaders. Generations of leaders he affected. You know, I want to be Benaiah. And I have to say that Benaiah, when he looked at that lion, surely he knew that the lion of the tribe of Judah was greater. You know, uh, when the renewal was going um, at the beginning and uh, people were roaring a lot. And one of the main criticisms was all the animal noises that was going on. You know, that can't be God because surely God doesn't make people cluck like chickens and roar like lions. You know, it just doesn't sound like God. And um, I was so grateful to Pastor John because every time there was a new manifestation, (laughs) he would go to the Word and he would look it up. And he'd say, well, I found shaking and falling down um, when the priests fell down when the glory came to the temple. (laughs) You know, and he would go to the word and look it up. And uh, he talked to us about roaring and the Lion of Judah and what that meant. And there was a Chinese man who roared uh, loudly at the back of the church under the mezzanine. And uh, they brought him up one day and they said, "Um, why are you roaring like a lion? (laughs) And he said, well, um, I'm from China. And for thousands of years, the dragon has been in charge of China. And God spoke to me that now the lion of the tribe of Judah is rising in China, is coming to take back my country. And that's why I'm roaring like a lion. (laughs) And I thought, that sounds like God. You know, that sounds biblical. And uh, so I'm just so excited when I see people roaring or when God starts the roaring in me because that is the line of the tribe of Judah saying, I am taking back this ground. I am taking back this ground. That's, you know, with his eyes of fire, looking at the enemy and telling the enemy, you got to retreat because I'm coming forward. You know, that's who I want to partner with him in that. Do you know in the Lion King where they have... um, uh, where is it? Simba, the little one, is roaring at the hyenas, but behind him is, is his dad. Okay, that's us, right? We're like, and the enemy starts retreating, and we're like, <laughs> and God's behind us, roaring, roaring. Like this is who I want to be, like Benaya, who knew what the real lion was like. Okay, so you know the saying, um, uh, faithful in small things, faithful in big things. So that's what happened to these next five guys in this list. So they were part of the first, you know, 37 mighty men. So Benaiah, son of Joiada, Asahel, Helez, Sibachai, Maharai Benaiah, the Pirathonite. Those five guys, when David became king, there were divisions of 24,000 men in his army There are 12 divisions. These five each led one of those divisions. So at first, they were just fighting themselves. before he became king as part of his rabble of men. But then when he became king, they were given greater authority. You know, that's what I want to happen as I pray. Like that's who I'm called to be, to grow in authority. That the more I pray for backs to be healed, the more they're healed. You know, that... uh, Now I may have to pray for five or 10 minutes, you know, but then I'll just, you know, say, and somebody's back will be healed. That I grow in authority. That when I pray for my leaders, that they're affected by that. You know, this is, I want to grow in authority. This is who I am. I am supposed to grow in authority. And one of the things I also really love about this list is there's a lot of family members in it. So Shamma, one of the first three guys, his son is also a mighty man. His son, Jonathan, is a mighty man. They fought together. You know, I have to tell you, in this church, the kids are awesome. So, so many of the kids are such great prayer warriors. They pray for healing. They pray in tongues. They know their Bible verses. Last week, Anne-Marie mentioned a part of a verse, and Pam and Steve's two daughters quoted the whole verse with a reference. (laughs) I was like, wow, I don't think I knew that reference. Like... They are so good. There's a bunch of families here who fight with their kids. And not only our physical kids, but also our spiritual kids. You know, not only the people that we lead to the Lord, but the people we disciple. Or our family members, like, you know, if it lists me and then my friend Maureen in Japan, who uh, is also a leader now as a mighty man. Can you imagine? It's written, you know, your name and then the name of somebody that you've discipled as mighty men in God's books. You know, I want that. I want that. Okay, and the next slide. Okay. So, Eliam's son of Ahithophel. Ahithophel was David's prophet. In fact, he was such a great prophet that people never questioned uh, his word. And so his son was there too. And I think that's really cool. The only problem is Ahithophel... um, He rebelled in Absalom's attempted coup, and he ended up killing himself. And I don't know what happened to Eliam, if he followed David or if he followed his father. And I have to tell you, I keep learning new things about this list of men. Do you know that Eliam was Bathsheba's father? Yeah, Bathsheba, son of Eliam. And that makes a lot of sense because Uriah was one of the uh, 37 mighty men. He's the last one listed. That you would marry your friend's daughter in those days makes perfect sense, you know. And so I think, you know, God, if I'm listed and if I have friends or important people in my life, leaders who fall away after 40 years, I want my name still to be in the list, you know. I want my name still to be there. His name's still there. You know, that I stay faithful to you till the end. And then we have Egal. His father and his grandfather is listed. No other grandfather is listed in that list. Can you imagine it says, um, there's a lady who is uh, in Japan. Her name is Yuki. And Yuki's been mentored by Maureen. And Maureen was mentored by Amanda. That, you're, that you have so affected the people that you disciple, that the people they disciple are in the list of mighty men? Like, that's the authority I want. That's This is who I am called to be. This is who we're called to be. This is who I want to be. Somebody who affects generations, generations of disciples of people. Okay. Next, we have the sons of Jason. So at the very end, right, we read there was 37 mighty men. Now, I think this is kind of funny because... They talk about the 30 mighty men, right? And then it says, okay, well, there wasn't really 30. There was 37, <laughs> you know? And so, well, so I count through. I can only count 34 mighty men. When I counted through, I'm like, the sons of Jason. Because the people listed before this are not the sons of Jason because they're from two different places. And the people listed after this are also from two different places. So the sons of Jason, as far as I can tell, he had three. Three sons, Imagine that our influence is so much that it doesn't even list the people that we have disciples. It says the disciples of Amanda Ewell. And everyone knows who they are. They know there's three. They know who they are. Because we don't have their names. But everyone knew who the mighty men were. They would have listed them off. You know, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever they were. like, I think that's so cool that my prayers can be so powerful that my disciples are listed, or the people who I disciple are listed under my name in the Book of Remembrance, in heaven where it's read out, the disciples of Amanda Yule. You know, that's what I, that's what I want. (laughs) Okay, next we have Nehari, Joab's armor bearer. Joab had 10 armor bearers. The Bible tells us he had 10, one made it into the list. Because here's the thing about prayer. Prayer is so easy, anyone can do it, right? But people don't. People don't. In Nerai, he rose above the rest of the armor-bearers of Joab, who were very important people in the army of God. you know. And he said, I'm going to be a mighty man. I'm going to fight. God says I can do it. I'm going to believe him, and I'm going to do it. And he becomes one of the mighty men, and Joab himself is not in the list of mighty men, the commander of the army. His two brothers are. His armor-bearer is. He is not. He's not in the list. You know, because people we think are going to be on the list in heaven, the first shall be last, right? The last shall be first. The people who we don't know, you know, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, he's going to be up there. He's going to be up there on the list. I want to be up there on the list. We know how people in the list died. Asahel was one of David's cousins. He went to war on his own. He chased the commander of the other army by himself, and he died. Because we're not meant to go it alone. We're meant to do it with family, with friends. Like, I love praying by myself, but I love it more with other people. You know, we're meant to pray with others. In Uriah the Hittite, you know that his leader killed him. Do you know that that happens to us sometimes, that our leaders really wound us? Where we leave churches or leave the Bible study. And Uriah the Hittite, he was one of David's mighty men. He fought with him since before he was a king, side by side. Like he was, you know, married one of his friend's wives. His leader took his wife and killed him. And Uriah was faithful to the end. And can I tell you, Uriah was a Hittite. They were enemies of the Israelites. He saw that God was God. He chose his God. He chose to be faithful. It doesn't matter what other people do, what my family does. They chose still to be Hittites. He still came. You know what my leader does? My leader says, go home, but everyone else is fighting. I'm not going home. You know, he chose. He chose to be faithful. That's what we're called to be. You know, the faithful man, the faithful woman. In this list is David's family. There's rabble, it tells us. There's nobles. Benaiah was a priest. His family were singers in the temple. He was nobility. And there's foreigners who fought against their own people. There's lists of wars against the Ammonites, the Hittites. And there's Ammonites and Hittites and lots of foreigners in there. He truly had an international army, David, if you read through it. One of the other things I love about this list it's in two different places. It's in uh, 2 Samuel 23 and 1 Chronicles 11. And you know the guys are listed in the same order each time? That's because that was their battle formation. That's who they stood beside in battle. Because they got to know the guy they stood beside and they got to know his strengths and weaknesses and they were able to cover him when he was having a hard time. And that guy beside him was able to cover the guy beside him when he was having a hard time. Because I pray beside Trev and Zeus and Mike and Carrie and my prayer partner, and they know me well. And they know when I'm having a hard time. And they're able to cover me when I'm having a hard time. And when my prayer partner's mom is coming to visit, I pray for her extra heart. <laughs> you know, because I know that she needs extra prayer then. You know, this is the battle formation in the church. Who do you pray beside? Church, who do you pray beside? because they're the ones in battle formation beside you. You know, you need some good people beside you praying. Right, we need, I need, I really, really need good people beside me praying, and I'm so grateful for the people who pray beside me. You know, and, and uh, I want to be listed beside those guys I pray beside. You know that it has my name right beside theirs, because they were beside me in battle formation. Okay, next slide. There's other warriors who also came. So these were not mighty men. These guys joined David after uh, he became king. But I think it can still show us about prayer. First, we have Saul's kinsmen who came with bows and slings. They were right-handed and left-handed. And these are all found in 1 Chronicles 12. Because sometimes when we pray for our enemy, they become our closest friend. Have you ever prayed for somebody who you didn't like so much at the beginning and it turned around? Because I have to tell you, that's happened to me. And people who, can I tell you that the more you pray for somebody, the more you love them. And God, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. And this is because when you pray for your enemies, they cannot stay your enemies because God starts giving you a love for them and starts showing you what to pray for them. And it's really annoying when he gives you his heart for them and you feel bad for them when they treated you so badly. Oh my goodness, God, I can't be angry at this person anymore. That's really annoying. (laughs) This is what happened. His enemies became his friends, and they came with skills. They came with skills. It was good to have them on his side. And then the Gadites come, who are brave warriors, ready for battle, shield and spear, faces of lions, swift as gazelles. The least was a match for a hundred, the greatest for a thousand. Do you know there's different kinds of prayer? There's travail, and there's praying the word, and there's praise, and there's dance, do you know that they can be used for different things? And these Gadites, they had a offensive and defensive weapons. In prayer, we can pray defensively and offensively when God says, right? And the least was a match for 100. It is seriously my goal that when I pray, my prayers are worth a 1,000 people's prayers that you could have a thousand people praying or you could ask Amanda, you know, because that's who we are, because that's what this says. This says that inside of you is a prayer warrior worth a thousand other people, a thousand other people. You are worth a thousand other people when you pray. Did you know that? Our prayer is powerful. Next, we have a Maasai. He comes, and David's not sure because he used to be the enemy. And David says, are you for me or against me? And Amasai speaks with the Spirit. He says, we're for you. And David says, I know that Spirit. You're on my side. That when we speak, the Spirit comes out. When we pray, the Spirit comes out. And people say, yes, I'm on your side. You're on my side. This is the side to be on because this is the Spirit. That the Spirit comes just flowing out. Next, Jehoiada comes. You Remember him? Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. Benaiah came to David before he was king, and he told his dad, Dad, this David guy, he's king. You should follow him. And he kept at it. He kept at it. He kept at it. Have you guys ever prayed for your parents? Have you prayed for a long time and haven't seen God do anything? It seems. Praying for our parents is so good We have so much power in praying for our parents. Do you know that Jehoiada, when he came to David, the king, he came with his whole family, 3,700 men he brought with him because his son told him, come. You know, when we pray for our parents, when we pray for people in leadership and they come to the Lord eventually and they bring their family, they bring their friends, do you know that your prayers do that? Your prayers do that. 37,000 people praying for your parents. My, uh, my nephew, he influenced my brother like this recently. Uh, my nephew is 10, um, and he uh, decided he wanted to be baptized. Yeah. And so my brother, who became a Christian when he was uh, a little kid, has never been baptized. And he said, you know what? I'm going to get baptized too. So the next slide, Jeremy. This is my uh, brother and my nephew giving their testimony at the top. And at the bottom is their baptism, where my nephew influenced my brother to be baptized. And when my brother was baptized, he said, I want to do this to lead my family. In the middle is a man who was baptized with them. He was uh, 80-something, 84, 86. His friend had been witnessing to him for a couple of years, and then his friend died, who was also in his 80s, and he got baptized the same day my 10-year-old nephew did. Your prayers can do that. Your prayers can do that. It's exciting. It's really exciting. And so what can we do? What do we do to respond, right? What do we do? The next slide. Okay. Okay. When I went down to the House of Prayer in Kansas City, I went down to get training for when I went to Japan. And I went there because God had told me, Amanda, you're gonna worship your life away. And there was no mission agency that was looking for a person who would worship their life away. I couldn't find one, until the House of Prayer. They're like, we have people who praise and worship all day long, I'm like, good, because God said I was gonna worship my life away, and I can't find a mission agency who wants me for that. So I went to the house of prayer to learn how to be a prayer person in the house of prayer and worship my life away. And you know what happened? I loved prayer too. I was just going for praise and worship, but I came out loving prayer. I mean, I prayed before, but I love, I love prayer. I love prayer. Because there's a spirit of prayer there that makes it easy. And we can pray for a spirit of prayer and a grace to pray. We can say, God, prayer makes me go to sleep. I need a spirit of prayer and the grace to pray and he'll give it. He'll give it. He'll give a spirit. And can I tell you, like, I used to love praying for hours. I still love it, but then I did it all the time because that was my job because God's really good to me. (laughs) You know, it's just so easy to pray for hours when you're praying with the spirit of God. It seems like a minute, you know, like you can ask for a grace and a spirit to pray, and we can ask God to remind us, God, I forget. Please remind me. You know, and you can go to a prayer meeting. I listed the two prayer meetings there that we have at the church. Or, you know, you can choose who to pray for. What makes your heart leap? Do you want to pray for um, Elsie and Ramesh or um, Ian and Janice? Or do you want to pray for Pastor John and Carol? Do you want to pray for your school? Like, it's what makes your heart leap. God's not saying, you must pray for an hour a day for the people you hate every single day. You know, he doesn't do that. He gives us stuff that makes our heart leap. You know, what makes your heart leap? Yeah, and I want to encourage you, if you want to know a place to start and you really want to respond, pray for 10 minutes a day. Because I think 10 minutes a day isn't so bad. You know, I think people think they can do it. And when they say, I'm going to pray for an hour a day, they usually do it for a couple of days and then they don't do it again. So I think 10 minutes a day, that's okay. And I just want to speak to moms of, of kids. When I speak about prayer... The moms of kids always come up to me and say, I want to do that. I want to pray. But when I pray, I fall asleep. And the only time I have time to pray is in the toilet. They all say that. They all say the only time they have time to pray is in the toilet. (laughs) And I just want to say to the moms of small kids that that's not God's. God's heart is not you must pray, you must pray. God's heart is you do pray and you don't know it. You pray over your kids all the time. You pray all the time, and you're just not crediting yourself. And God's heart is that he's going to give words to you in your sleep and in time that you have. He's not asking the moms to pray for an hour a day when he knows they don't have it. That's not his heart. His heart is, I know who you are. I know where you are. And the number one thing that I'm going to recommend, number one, is to get a prayer partner. I had a prayer partner in university, Helen, for four years. And when I came back to Toronto... She was in Stainer, and I was in Toronto, and way back then, long distance was really expensive. (laughs) And so I needed a new prayer partner, and I prayed. I said, dear God, I need a new prayer partner, and um, could it please be somebody who understands what's going on at the church? Because (laughs) I just don't think I can tell somebody that I roared like a lion and have them tell me it wasn't from you. Like, I just, I need somebody who understands. And so um, I went to a young adults meeting at my church. I had another church then. And um, we prayed. And this girl, Karen, when she prayed, I was like, I like her. I like Karen. I like how she prays. I'd like to be her prayer partner. God, is that okay? He said, yeah, yeah, you can ask her. So I said, "Um, Karen, uh, I have a question for you. And you can pray about it and tell me later. I said, "Uh, you know, would you... Uh, like to be my prayer partner and she goes yes 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 and I said well no you can pray about it like and tell me later no no she says yes 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 <laughs> and so the next slide this is my prayer partner Karen um we've been praying together for 20 years she was single then <laughs> and um we pray on Sunday nights and we took about a year off after every kid but after the last kid it wasn't so long because she was like an old pro by then and uh Karen knows the absolute worst things about me ever. Like, really, because I tell them to her, and she knows it anyway, and she shows me God's love and loves me anyway and is so for me. And I love her kids and her family because we pray for them every week, and I know each of them and what God's called them to, and she knows my family and what it's about, and we have seen such fruit from our prayers. And her husband... um, Julian, who I also love, he used to think that we were, you know, talking like girls always do every Sunday night. (laughs) That was his opinion of our prayer times. Oh, girls always talk. And one night, God showed him what we were doing in prayer for his family. And he repented very sincerely (laughs) and told us that we should keep praying for his family. It was the best thing ever. And he always gives us his prayer requests now. And so I just highly, highly, highly recommend a prayer partner. That you pray and ask God for a prayer partner far and away, far, far in the way. The most fruit I've seen is through praying with a prayer partner. So what we're going to do now, we're going to do a bit of an activation just to respond, to say, yes, God, I know I'm a mighty warrior. I'm part of your army. This is who I am. This is who I want to be. So I'm going to ask you to do physical things. So if you don't want to do it, please feel free to stay seated. But what we're going to do now is Jesus is going to knight us. He's going to knight us as um, mighty warriors in his army. And so I'm going to ask you to kneel on one knee right now and to be prepared to be knighted. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. And just close your eyes and picture this. You have a sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's your own sword. And I'd like you to picture what it looks like and where it is. Because this is the sword that Jesus is going to knight us with. And so I'd like you to pass Jesus your sword. And Jesus he takes your sword and he turns it around and he lays it on your left shoulder and your right shoulder. And he says, "I knight you, mighty warrior, in my army for battle." This is who you are, mighty warrior. Okay, we're going to stand and hold our swords up. We're going to pledge allegiance to Jesus in the next, the next uh, slide. This is our response to him. So we're going to pledge allegiance. Here we go. I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ and to God's kingdom for which he died. One spirit led the people world over, indivisible, with love and justice for all. Amen. You may have a seat. So if you would like, actually, I'm going to ask the uh, leadership team to come on up. We're going to pray for people. So if you guys just want to come on up and line up here. If you would like more prayer for prayer, if you would like to be released into prayer, receive a spirit of prayer, receive grace to pray, to know who you are in prayer, if you would like to receive an impartation of prayer, please come up and let us pray for you. Or if you have something else you would like prayer for, please come up and receive prayer. And the rest of you, you're uh, dismissed. Thank you so much.